Wood, and you're interested in that. Amen. Praise God. Brother Daniel McDonald will be preaching. Uh, Bishop Frost will be preaching. Amen. Praise God. And uh, Brother Wade Bass will be preaching. It's going to be amazing. And so we're excited about the 80th anniversary and the 50th of the school. The 50th of the school is really a major deal. And it has been a major undertaking. And uh, there's a lot of challenges that go with Christian education. And, uh, but we're at that 50-year mark. And so they're putting together some pictures that are <laughs> very interesting that you can look at. It's going to be a great, great time together. Praise God. Amen. Thankful for the presence of God that we feel in this place here tonight. Amen. I'm celebrating God's goodness and his, his greatness. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. God has called us to greater things. Amen. Praise God. Let's, let's worship the Lord together. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We thank you for your word that brings to us strength, and we ask that you would encourage and strengthen us tonight in the house of God as we have made a commitment here tonight. We've made an appointment, a divine appointment, to be in the house of God, the sanctuary, to worship you and to magnify you. We have appeared before you. And we know that wherever two or three are there, your presence is there as well. Direct us tonight in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. I'm preaching to you tonight on this title, Not a Hoof. Not a Hoof. And that will make sense in a minute. I want to say thanks to my lovely daughter that every service she takes ownership of making sure we have a nice sermon slide. This is all her creativity. She does it for every service, every preacher, and she also does the kiosks. She makes sure that information is out there. Um, she does all of our promotions along with Sister Amy Doty. They work together. And she's just a big blessing, and I just felt like saying that here tonight, Casey. Man, praise God. Not a hoof. Separation, this is the real uh, theme here tonight that I want to talk to you about, is that separation is a privilege. We're talking about what holiness is, uh, what is it entails. It really entails two important factors. Holiness is separation and dedication. It's two things, and they both go together. Dedication is what we do for God because of all of his blessings and favor upon our life and our deep gratitude out of that flows making changes in our life to represent a God that has been so gracious and favorable to us. And so separation is a dedication. I'm dedicating my life 
setting my life apart. Sanctification is the part where God sets us apart for his glory, for his honor. And so dedication comes into that understanding. Separation is a privilege. This is a mentality. If, if you don't approach separation with this mentality, then it becomes more about rules. It becomes about people telling you what to do and not to do. It becomes about constrictions that you feel like and boundaries that you wrestle against. And that, that would be the wrong mentality from Scripture that we should have as it pertains to holiness because it's not something that we are made to do or co coerced to do. It's because we want to do it because we're thankful to God that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so being a person that has boundaries and being a person that makes an effort to be separated from the world that is around them is a privilege. And when you say that, I'm not talking about the negative connotations to privilege that is out there that's swirling around that divides people. No, I'm talking about the privilege that unifies people, that makes the church what it is, a city set on a hill, a light that is not under a bushel, and a mentality that says, I'm doing what I'm doing because I love God, and it is a privilege to serve in the kingdom of God, and I'm part of something that is the greatest institution on the earth called the church. And I know the church is not perfect, but I'd rather be in the church with its imperfections to be in the world with all the stuff that goes with being in the world and its influence. If able to be in the house of God tonight, hallelujah, and the church and the people that is in the church. This is not something that is a man-made institution. This is a high calling of God, and we are serving in the church of the living God, and God has called us to come out from the world and be separate. It's not man's idea. It's not an organizational view. This is God's theme from the very beginning. God separates and sanctifies for his glory the people of God and the people on the earth. And it even goes back to the creation. He established the separation principle in creation. He separated light from darkness. Out of darkness we come into his marvelous light. From the very elements of creation where there is separation from the firmaments, what is above and what is beneath, light and darkness, there is order, there is connectivity, there is direction, there is decency, and there is separation between elements and things in creation. And that is a theme that directly impacts our spirituality because God also separates us from darkness, brings us into the light. He is the light of the world that shines into darkness. This is what John said in John chapter number one. Jesus, by his very coming, separates light from darkness, and he calls us to walk in the same exam example and manner that he walks. He brings us into his marvelous light. There is a separation. There's a separation of values. We don't have the same values as the darkness that is in the world. We're walking to the beat of a different drum. Our values are connected to the word of God. It's a light thing that's taking place, not a darkness thing. And sometimes coming out of the darkness is a cataclysmic event that only God can do. 
but God is still in the business of doing signs, miracles, and wonders. It may have taken you a long time to get where you are tonight because you are coming out of darkness. Thank God that God continued to work on you. Thank God for a church that was patient enough with you and you came out of darkness and there were things that tried to keep you from coming, but you came out of darkness and you came into a marvelous light and that is all because of a sovereign God that is still able to pull us out of darkness and to separate us to his goodness and to the work of God and the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 14 reveals more of this theme even into the New Testament to the Corinthian church. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What conquered hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Wherefore, that's the dedication part. Wherefore, this is the separation part. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I was just a, a ragamuffin, if you want to put it that way. I was on the outside in the world that the world had tossed away but there was a God that saved me and said you have a seat at the table I'm going to bring you in as a son and a daughter hallelujah you thankful that God recognizes that you are not just a nobody and a nothing your identity your self-worth and your identity is wrapped up in the spirit of God that lives in your life a lot of people looking for an identity of people insecure about themselves. I want to tell you here tonight, my insecurities and my self-identity and all the things in my life are all wrapped up in something that is greater than I am. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My identity is wrapped up in the fact I'm a child of God. I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. God has called me to be in a family and I finally found my place. Hallelujah. Come on, let's clap our hands and thank the Lord for God's goodness to us. Praise God. Hallelujah. So that's a theme in creation, and it's also a theme in humanity. God's people were to be different from the heathen in their worship, character, dress, and custom. From the very creation and then into humanity and the way humanity conducts themselves, God desires us to be set apart, different from the heathen in their worship, the way that we worship, our character, the way that we act, uh, the dress, the way that we dress, and custom, the way that we conduct ourselves. We find this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 16, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? 
So we shall be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. This is Moses talking about being separated to God. There's going to be a separation. There's going to be a recognition of that. And God is going to go with us. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26. And you shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy and have severed you, severed you, separated you from other people that you should be mine. See, this is where the real battle is. Who... who <laughs> Who controls you? Who is directing you? Who is your king? Here's a key word in the New Testament. Who is your Lord? Because when you would say Jesus is Lord, you were saying Caesar is not. And that was a statement that may cause you persecution and may cause you your very life. But it was something that the early church would say emphatically, no matter what the ramifications were, Jesus is Lord of my life. Caesar is not. Political dominations are not, political leaders are not, the world is not, the system in the world is not, nobody else in the world is my Lord, but Jesus is my Lord. Why would anybody ever even say that? Why would they even think that? I'll tell you why, thanks for asking. It's because he died on a cross and his blood was efficacious enough to cover every single one of my sins. I shouldn't be here tonight, but thank God for the mercy of God. I should be judged, 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 tried and judged, but I'm here tonight in the house of God, thankful for his mercy. Thankful for his mercy. Praise God. One of the earliest examples of an individual being called out to be separated is Abraham. It's the Abrahamic example. And what necessitated Abraham being a great nation and being a blessing, everyone say blessing. I'm still ruminating on Brother Rowley's message when he was talking about if God blesses you, don't close your fist. Because the natural inclination is when God blesses us, we close our fist because we like the blessings of God. But if we close our fist, the blessings of God are not going to have the same impact and they're not going to flow from us to others. And, and, and that, that is just an amazing principle. Whatever God has blessed you with, it doesn't matter what it is. Small, medium, great. Never close your fist. If someone blesses you, be a blessing to someone else. Reciprocate. See, our world is all about taking. All about absorbing. All about selfish interests. So somebody blesses them with anything. A compliment. Then they take that to themselves and feel like I'm really important. Somebody gave me a compliment. How about taking that compliment and saying, somebody gave me a compliment. I'm going to open my fist and I'm going to give an affirmation to someone else. Our world doesn't operate on this principle at all. It's all about what I can get, not necessarily what I can give. And Jesus said it is better to give than to receive. And so... Abraham, in order to be a blessing, he had to get out of his country and out of his father's house. He had to get out of the Ur of the Chaldees. There were spiritual hindrances in the Ur of the Chaldees and in his father's house that he had to leave. And God called him and gave him a promise to bless the nations and be a blessing, not just 
in his own time frame, but the larger global vision stretched from Abraham's day through the church, and it's still continuing through Abraham. But in order to receive that blessing and then be a blessing to others, he had to get away from the environment that he was in in the era of the Chaldees. And in one particular case, Abraham went to receive the promise and the blessing, not knowing where he was going. He was pursuing a blessing. He was pursuing a promise of God. He didn't know where he was going. But it was such a commitment in his life to say, I've got to get away from the hindrances, and I've got to remove myself from the entanglements. The earth of the Chaldees, very, very idolatrous. And so God was calling him out of all of the idolatrous practices and saying, Abraham, I want you to live for me. And so Abraham does that. God does the same thing with us. He calls us to come out of our environment circle of friends and family and religion and lifestyle. And he calls us out of those distractions and entanglements. And this is where it gets, sometimes it gets really dicey. As a matter of fact, even just recently, someone came in, we baptized them. God was doing great things, but the boyfriend and then the family and then all of the distractions and entanglements sucked them back into a weak and beggarly elements of the world. And that's disappointing. And if you're working with people like that, don't feel like that is a personal thing with you when you're trying to work with him. That is a spiritual battle and struggle, and it's difficult. And you, you, you try to do your very, very best, and sometimes that is something that they choose on their own, and it's a choice that doesn't help them. It's a choice that turns them right back into the vomit, and they go right back into the stuff that is a negative connotation in their life. Don't give up. Amen. Keep reaching. God's got somebody else. Amen. God's going to reward you because you gave it your best effort, and you tried to reach. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep reaching. And so there's a lot of stuff that can become a drag on, on us and distractions that become a drag. Drag is it's a, it's a physics thing. It's a force in everyday life. A drag on an object is something that is moving in a fluid, whether it's a gas or a liquid. You can feel a drag force when you move your hand through water. You might feel it when you stick your hand out the window. You can feel that there is a drag. The wind is pulling you. If you turn your hand just a little bit, you get the idea of aerodynamics and how planes fly because there's a certain drag. And so it's a drag on movement. A plane has jets that are such that can compensate for the drag and fly. But if you don't have the propulsion, you don't have the movement, then the drag stops you. Spiritually speaking, if we're not careful and the Spirit of God is not flowing through us with enough energy and motion to overcome the drag, we come to a dead still and a stop. I just want to declare to you here tonight, I don't want there to be a drag on my spirituality that stops me because if I stop, 
revival's not happening. If I stop, discipleship is not happening. If I stop, there is no forward movement. We got to keep moving forward. There's going to be a drag on us, but there is a power that's greater than the drag on us. God's going to give us the propulsion to continue to move forward and see God do great things and break into spiritual dynamics and environments where revival ripples out and there is a movement and a power. Amen. I'm not going to let the world be a drag on me. I want the Holy Ghost to propel me forward. There's even an equation that is proportional to the velocity of the object and how large the object is, such as bicycles, cars, and baseball, and things like this that are moving, and the magnitude of that is connected to the square of the speed of the object, and so there's a whole, there's a whole equation that goes with that. And the same thing is true in our spiritual walk with God. Don't let distractions become a drag on you. Don't let things in, in the world become a drag on you. Don't let social media become a drag on you. If it becomes a drag on you, then you you got to alter some things in the equation so the drag is less and there's more power and there's more acceleration. Ooh, that's good stuff right there. Yes, you got to make sure that the object, which is you, is moving forward. And so if there are things like social media and the news and the Internet and everything else becomes a drag on you... Did you know what? If, if you get up and that's all you read, you're going to be depressed and distressed and anxious and stressed out because the world's falling around and you're going to eventually come to a complete and full stop because there is such a drag on you. Our world is a mess and it's depressing, but we've got something that is greater. Praise God. I'm looking to the hills from whence cometh my help. He's a sovereign God. He's got control of it all. Nations are going to rise. Nations are going to fall. But ultimately, Jesus Christ is sovereign. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So I'm going to make sure that my attention is focused on the King and not everything else around me. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're thankful for the King. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1 puts it this way. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This seems to suggest that there are two factors that create spiritual imbalance. There is weight and there is sin. Sin is sin, and sin obviously is a greater problem, and that needs a, a fix, and the fix is repentance. But there's also weights that can also hinder us. doesn't seem like the weights are necessarily things that are sin. They're just hindrances. They're distractions. They're drag on the propulsion of forward movement spiritually. And so I've got to make sure my life doesn't have sin in it because this ultimately will stop me from being what God wants me to be. 
But I also have to understand, too, that there are some weights or there's some things and distractions in my life. Maybe it is overindulgence in something that is not necessarily a sin, but I'm spending so much time on it that it is causing me to drag instead of moving forward. And so anything that, 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 is, that is amoral, that means that it's not moral, it's not sin, it's amoral, it doesn't have anything associated or there's no connotation with it. But if I do too much of that, it becomes a distraction and it becomes a weight. You can let your hobbies become a distraction and a weight if they keep you from the house of God. Well, that didn't go over so well because now this is tinkering around with some of the stuff that we like to do. And sometimes the stuff we like to do keeps us out of church and where we need to be and what we should be doing. Those are weights and distractions that will keep us and they will make us spiritually imbalanced. Sin is a problem, but so are the weights that can become a problem. We've got to run the race that is before us. We can't run with a bunch of weights. I know. I've seen those people. I've seen them. I've seen them. They bulk up because they're really going to lose weight. And so they put on 50 pounds and then they try to run miles because they're losing weight. In this example, you get rid of all the weights because putting weights on you is not helping you run the race that is set before you. Don't and try to carry it and run the race and the good fight of faith. Get rid of the distractions. Get rid of the weights so that you can glide effortlessly in the kingdom of God. You can move fluidly. reasons why we you know social media we bulk stuff we we lump social media with everything nowadays in terms of technology you can just call it social media because it's streaming in every facet in every way and, and if you're so focused on social media and I'm talking about social media whether it's Instagram streaming movies Amazon all this kind of stuff it could even be uh, it could even be videos of of the Middle East and all the stuff that's going over there if, if that's what you're feeding yourself and you're doing too much of it it can become a weight and a distraction I'm not saying that we don't recognize that we're in the world, but we are not of the world. It's one thing to understand what is going on, but if you do a deep dive into that stuff, so much that it conflicts, and now spiritually, you're not balanced where you need to be. You need to unloose yourself from those weights. Thank God you're in the house of God tonight, because this is a good place to do that. When the anointing of God takes place, and the work of God takes place, we can leave free of all of that. Did you know, since the writer of Hebrews is talking about running a race without weights, he's using running as an example, and so he would be referring to all of the games that had to do with running, and he's talking about running, and he's, you know, he's just saying it's not common sense if you're going to be a runner, if you're taking that as an illustration, to weight yourself down. You need to be able to run and fly. Did you know just recently... Kelvin Kipton from Kenya ran, this was Chicago, 2023. So this just happened. This year, ran a marathon. You know how many miles a marathon is, right? How many miles is a marathon? 
26 miles. He ran the Chicago Marathon in two hours and 35 seconds. You know, so that's not a big deal. Really? You know how fast that is? You know how fast he's running a mile? You know, way back in the day, they thought nobody could break a five-minute mile. And when somebody did, it was like, like breaking a sound barrier. Five-minute mile. And for those of you who say, oh, I could do that. Okay, yeah, okay. Brother Rob Huff, yes, you can, you can. Yeah, uh huh, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. I had to throw you under the bus there. <laughs> had to go get Brother Rob a bicycle because he didn't even make it a mile and he needed a bicycle. A, 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 a eight minute mile is a pretty, eight minutes, 30 seconds is a pretty good clip and pace. <clears throat> a five minute mile back in the day was like an amazing thing. He's running a marathon for 26 miles, running a 4.36 mile, 4 minutes, 36 seconds. That is so fast that it is hard to even believe. He ran the second half of the marathon faster than the first half. He ran... One hour and 48 seconds for the first half, 59 minutes, 47 seconds for the second half. He said, that's my strategy. 19 miles, around the 19-mile mark, 20 miles hit, I kick in the afterburners, I make my move, he said. He never felt, this is, this is what is so frustrating to me. <laughs> this is just, he said he never felt any discomfort the entire 26 miles. That is not right. That they, 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 they're, 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 there, is, there is no way you can. I run three miles. I'm, oh, God, I'm going to take a week to recover from this. Uh, feels like my ankle bone's up at my hip bone. My back feels compressed. My head feels like it's sitting on my waist. I'm not doing this anymore. And he says, no discomfort, 26 miles. And this is his third marathon. His third marathon, he said, I felt confident from 5K on that he would set the record. <clears throat> that is, wow, something in the water over there with these Kenyans. They, they, are, they, are, they are runners, runners, runners. We should, we should, here's my point with that. We should make the same move spiritually, not dragging. I'm talking about holiness and separation is a privilege. We shouldn't drag ourselves in. Yeah, this is something that we have to do. This should be something like Kelvin Kipton, where he is running, he's not dragging, he's not embarrassed, he's not barely making it. He is absolutely flying, and there is no drag on his spirit, no drag in his mind. Spiritually, we need to be the same way. No drag on our spirit. Thankful that God has done amazing things. I'm not dragging, I'm not embarrassed. I'm thankful for the blessings of God. And I want to testify to somebody else about the blessing of God. You're not going to be an influence on anybody if you're embarrassed about who you are and what you are and how you dress and how you talk. But you will influence somebody if there's no drag on you. And the Holy Ghost is shining out of your face. And there's a power of God operating in your life.
I like getting around people that, that, that are uplifting, that make me feel like I can live for God and take hell on with a water pistol. Have you ever experienced anybody like that? Those, those kind of people are fun to be around. This should be the theme and the attitude of our entire church. We're excited about what God is doing. Amen. Woo-hoo. God is amazing. And we're thankful for what he is doing. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 9 said, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9, we read it. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people. That should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? Because we have obtained mercy. God has given to us mercy, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God has done great things. So that, that sets up what I'm getting ready to tell you, and I've got to quickly move here. But there are four compromises of Pharaoh. In the Old Testament, when we look at Moses coming to Pharaoh and negotiating a, from the perspective of Yahweh and the Hebrews that were in Egypt and trying to get them out so that they would have a place to worship, and there is this conflict between Moses and Pharaoh, and there's the plagues that take place. There are four compromises that Pharaoh makes. Moses was sent by God to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. They could not worship properly in Egypt. Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh offered four compromises to Moses, and they have ramifications for our spiritual walk with God. There was no way forward for the Hebrews without a clean break. And this is a, this is a great principle. There was no way that the Hebrews were, were ever going to make a a clean break out of Egypt without getting out of Egypt. They were not going to be able to worship God in Egypt while they were being enslaved by Egypt with all of the idolatry and all of the circumstances and environment that was in Egypt. They had to come out of Egypt. And so in Exodus chapter 8 and verse number 25, we see this conversation. Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron, and he said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not meet so to do. So Pharaoh said, You could sacrifice God in the land, in the land, in Egypt. And Moses said, We can't do that. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, we shall, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and they will not stone us. This is part of the problem. The Egyptians believe, and they elevated cattle and what have you to a, a godlike status. And so Moses is like, we, how are we going to do that? How are we going to worship in the land, when God is calling us to sacrifice bullocks and what have you, we're going to be an abomination in the sight of the Egyptians, and they will stone us. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he shall command us. So the first compromise of Pharaoh is that he didn't want them to go too far. He wanted them to worship in the land, stay in the land. The idea of the Hebrews staying and worshiping in Egypt was totally unacceptable. Neither can we 
stay in close fellowship with the world and carnality and offer acceptable worship. Our faith is not putting on Christ over the dirty clothes of our past life. There must be a putting off of the flesh before we can walk in the spirit. We cannot live in the flesh and worship in the spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. God calls you out of Egypt. He calls you out of bondage. He doesn't want you worshiping in Egypt. It's an impossibility. Egypt will hate you. Your worship will be hindered. It will be destroyed. Distracted, God calls you out from that. That is a compromise that the world will try to bring to you that, that suggests to you that you can be just like Egypt and still offer worship to God. This is not, this is not a theme of the scripture. God wants to call you out of your bondage, your enslavement. He wants you to get rid of all the addictions and entanglements and step into the promised land. So, there is a call and there is an attitude. How should we do that? Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. I'm going to read until I get to a period. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9. This is a long sentence. <laughs> for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto patience and longsuffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Long sentence. And so you're not supposed to take verses out of context. We had to read the whole sentence. But what I really wanted to get to is verse 11. Because God calls us out and then the attitude is here in verse 11. What should the attitude be about holiness and separation and being pleasing to God? It's found in verse 11. Strengthened with all might, not weak, according to his glorious power, unto patience and long suffering with joyfulness, joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So it's joyfulness that I should approach this subject. And so Pharaoh's first compromise is worship God in the land. Don't leave Egypt. Stay here. Stay here. Everything's okay. And it seems like a lot of churches, this becomes their kind of Christian worldview and philosophy, that it's all right. Just kind of manipulate and manage things and come to church and get the emotion and the feel. And, and that's all there is to it. That is not the theme of Scripture. He calls us out of Egypt. The second thing is in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 28. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only 
You shall not go very far away. Entreat for me. So there's a, there's a plague in the land. And Moses, this is, this, is, this is the driving point. This is the driving point. We need to go worship God. And we need to serve God. And God is calling us to worship. And Pharaoh is hanging on. He's trying to restrict that movement. And so the first thing he says, you could do that here in Egypt. No, we can't do that in Egypt because we would be stoned because part of our worship and sacrifice is the sacrifice of bulls, bullocks, and goats, and lambs, and, and, and you've elevated that stuff to godlike status. That's not going to work. So then Pharaoh says, well, then you can go, but not very far away. Stay in touch. Stay in reach. Don't cut all ties. Don't burn your bridges. Have a few fallback plans just in case. Don't destroy everything. <clears throat> Have one foot in and one foot out. This is, this is not the theme of Scripture. This is, this is not even what repentance is. Repentance is not puts a bunch of bargaining chips and figure out what you can keep and what you have to get rid of. When God calls you, he says repent of an old lifestyle because all that has brought you is dysfunction and sin and disorder in your life and enslavement and bondage. And so he calls calls us through repentance to come out of Egypt and to go do a 180 and walk away from all that kind of stuff and say, I'm done, I am finished, I am not staying here in Egypt, and I'm not just going a little distance away, I'm going all the way for Jesus. Praise God. It is absolutely going to be Percentage-wise, what is going to make you more effective is if you make a complete commitment. I said a complete commitment. If you're straddling the fence, one little boy, there was a story, one little boy kept falling out of the bed, and when they asked him, why do you keep falling out of the bed? He said, I guess it's because I'm staying too close to the place where I got in. That's probably it. So if you just barely get in the bed, you're probably going to fall out of the bed because you're not all the way in the bed. Are you hearing this, Sister Bradford? Are you hearing this? This is to you. I'm preaching over here now. It's going this way. <laughs> when you get in the bed, get all the way in the bed. And her response is going to be, you're pushing me out of the bed. That's what she says. And I say, no, because I love you more. That's why I'm always on your side of the bed. She said, no, that's not right. It's, and so it becomes kind of a, you know, a fun little argument that we have over and over. <laughs> I went to Africa. I came back. It looked like I had just gotten out of the bed. The covers were folded over just like I had gotten out of bed because she doesn't move from her side of the bed. And it's because I love her more and she loves me. I got sidetracked. What was I talking about? Huh? Oh, the little boy. He said, the reason I'm falling out of the bed is because I'm not getting in far enough. This is the reason why you're struggling spiritually is because you're not coming all the way in. Praise God. We got to be careful here and be patient with people because sometimes it takes them a while. But ultimately, ultimately, this is the truth. You get all the way in, it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to live for God than when you're just barely in and you're trying to figure out how it's all going to work. Just let God take complete control. God will figure out and help you figure out how it's all going to work, but you got to make a commitment.
Don't go too far. That was the second compromise. Man, this is really good. You know, this, and, and this, this one right here really pertains to our present culture and, and mores that we're experiencing in North America. Exodus chapter 10 and verse number 7. I want you to watch this. Pharaoh's servant said unto him, How long shall this man be a snare unto us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Knowest thou not yet that Egypt is destroyed? I mean, all these plagues... So they're coming to Pharaoh, and they have a suggestion. Let the men go. And Moses and Aaron were brought again unto Pharaoh, and he said unto them, Go serve the Lord your God, but who are they that shall go? And Moses said, "We." I like this. We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our herds will we go, for we must hold a feast unto the Lord. And Pharaoh said unto them, Let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones look to it, for evil is before you. Not so. Go now, you that are men, and serve the Lord, for that you did desire. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. What was Pharaoh saying? Pharaoh saying, is, All right, we'll let the men go, but you leave the children. The adults can leave, but the children stay. You know why? This was a compromise. You know why? Because he planned on making a new generation of slaves. Maybe you're not getting it. Are you getting it? You understand what I'm saying? We'll let the adults go, but we want the younger generation because we'll enslave them. This is exactly where we are in our present culture. The battle is for a younger generation. Parents, you need to have the attitude of Moses. Pharaoh says, where are you going and who's going? The men are going, the women are going, our children are going, the young are going, the old are going. Everybody's getting out of Egypt. Everybody's getting out of Egypt. You need to have that mentality and attitude that I'm going to protect my children. I'm going to fight for them. Every service is going to matter. Every time I can get them in the house of God, it's going to matter. You say, why is that important? Because Pharaoh will try to bargain for the children. He'll fight for the younger generations. No, we are all worshiping and we are not leaving anyone behind says Moses. This was a compromise of Pharaoh. And the last one, we're coming to a conclusion here. I'm sorry, this is going a little long tonight, but it's all good because we had a move of the Holy Ghost, and so we don't want to restrict our time just because the Holy Ghost breaks out. Can I get a witness? Okay, praise God. <laughs> and besides that, the kids are over there having Harvest Fest, and they probably don't want to leave. The staff probably wants them to leave, but the kids... The last compromise. I know I've got some of you, you constructive thinkers. You're like, I still haven't heard anything about a hook. And so he's one of those preachers that give a title and then he has nothing to do with the title, say anything about the verse, and he's just wandering around. No, I'm saving it for right now. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 24 and Pharaoh called unto Moses and said, Go ye serve the Lord, 
Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. Let your little ones go also with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle shall go with us. There shall not an hoof be left behind. For thereof must we take to serve the Lord our God, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. Pharaoh, this was another compromise. He, he wanted the, the children to be left behind. And then when that wasn't going to work, because when, when he proposed that the children stay and Moses was banished out of the courtyard, locusts came. Well, now the locusts have been so... Uh, Bitter upon him. Now, now he's trying to compromise and bargain with the flocks and with the herds. He's trying to salvage something out of the deal. He's trying to hinder their worship because the flocks and the herds were connected to their worship. Without those elements, they would not completely connect with God. And Moses said, not a hoof is going to be left behind. When, when, when we come out of Egypt, we're coming out with the young and the old. We're coming out with our children and we're coming out with the cattle there's not a hoof that is going to be left behind we are marching out of Egypt and bondage with a mighty hand and God is going to deliver us We will not compromise. If we're going to be a revival church in 2023, we can't compromise. We can't let things disconnect us from God. We got to tell the pharaohs of the world, no, our children are going, and everything that God has blessed us is going as well. Everything that we've got is because of God, and we're going out of here with power. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Not a hoof shall be left behind. As a matter of fact, they went to the neighbors and they borrowed, <laughs> they borrowed everything from their neighbors. So when they left Egypt, they left with all the wealth out of Egypt. Praise God. God didn't call us out of Egypt so that we would just come weak and beggarly. He called us out of Egypt so that we would be blessed and powerful and anointed. Your business should be blessed. Your occupation should be blessed. Your education, everything about you should be blessed because God has brought you with a mighty hand out of bondage into his marvelous life. Anybody thankful that you've got a testimony that God's blessing has been upon my life and I praise him and worship him because of his power and because of his ability. He brought me out with a mighty hand. Not a hoof, not a hoof, not a hoof, not a hoof shall be left behind. We're not worshiping in the land. We're not worshiping just a little distance away. We're not leaving our children, and we're not leaving a hoof behind. God is going to take us with everything.
And we're going to go and we're going to worship the Lord. And it is a privilege to do so. This should be your mentality when it comes to holiness and separation. It is a privilege to serve a mighty God who brought me out with a mighty hand. Praise God, praise God. You know what? God was pleased with this stand, and he backed up their commitment with a mighty display of power and supernatural deliverance. When you make a commitment like this, God is well pleased. What do you say, church? What do you say? We have this kind of experience. We're not just limping along. No, we're, we're experiencing the mighty hand of supernatural things that's taking place. And we're not reducing and lowering the bar, but we're saying, God, bring us out with the mighty hand. We're, we're, <laughs> we're going to commit everything to you. Praise God. We're going to the promised land. We're committing that to you. We're not just going a short distance away. We're giving you everything. We're not leaving our children behind. We're taking them with us. And we're not leaving a hoof behind. We're taking everything that God has blessed and given to us. I think we need to walk to this front for a few moments here tonight. When the world celebrates all that it's celebrating, we're celebrating the goodness of God. We're celebrating our commitment that we're making to God. And he is going to do supernatural things because of our attitude and our experience and our mentality before him. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you lift up your hands and fill the atmosphere here tonight. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, fill the atmosphere with worship and praise. I thank you, Lord, and worship Hallelujah. I commit my life to you. I commit my life to with you. Praise God. Take me out of Egypt. Move me out of Egypt, Lord. Not just a short distance away, but God, take me. Take me completely in to purpose and destiny. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let it impact. Touch my family, my children. Let it impact and touch my work and my talents and my ability. I'm not leaving.
God. There's going to be Pharaohs that try to compromise your promised land experience. Hallelujah. Try to compromise it. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give in. Praise God. Step over the threshold. Make a commitment and watch what God does in your life. Praise God. You believe that? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Every single service, we've got people that are teetering and tottering on the threshold of making a complete decision. Amen. You know how we help in that process? We have such powerful, anointed service and church that it helps them step over the threshold and say, you know what, this is home. This, this feels like home. This feels like heaven. This feels like the kingdom of God. I, didn't, I, had, I had pleasures of sin for a season in the world, but the next morning I was waking up. My head was, was feeling like it was going to crack open. I was questioning everything that I did and didn't do and can't, couldn't remember a lot of stuff. Amen. But I come to the house of God and I experience his goodness and his anointing and his blessing and I walk out encouraged and I walk out strength. This is our job. Praise God. I said this is our job. Hallelujah. To create an atmosphere where people cross over. Thank you, Lord. Crossover. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together for everything that he is richly doing. Continue in, Lord. Praise God. Continue in, Lord. We thank you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. We will see you. Remember all the announcements. Young people, if you need to get with Brother Casey, do that. If you need to find